You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Michael O'Brien, and he is CEO, but also uh, founder and the chief coach for Peloton Executive Coaching. We're going to talk to him about the work he does with leaders. We're going to talk to him about his own experiences, uh, how he got into coaching, the work that he does, why he does it. Really interesting conversation. I always enjoy talking with other coaches, other people that work with leaders to help them level up their performance, get clearer on strategy, execute better. And we are recording this in the midst of COVID-19. I will just uh, give a little context here. We're both in the New York area, so we're kind of a little bit in the epicenter for the New York area. And you know, I'm sure that's going to come up in the conversation because I know we're both working with a lot of leaders dealing with situations, both personal, business. And while it's a very challenging time, it's also a very fascinating time from a leadership point of view. So I'm excited to have this conversation with that. Michael, welcome to the program. Bruce, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So... Let's talk about your story, your background, how you got into coaching. I know you had kind of a series of events or an experience that really kind of honed you in on the coaching world and understanding what it takes to uh, help people through challenges. So let's hear about that and how you started Peloton Coaching, and then we'll talk a little bit about the work that you do, and we'll talk about the situation we're in. Yeah, no, it sounds good. Yeah, because the situation is something that we're both hip deep in. We're in the same county of part of New Jersey, but now distant. But yeah. <laughs> luckily through Skype brings us together. Yeah. So my introduction to coaching happened back in 2001. So the situation that you referenced, I call my last bad day. I was out. I was a corporate leader at the time working for a pharmaceutical company here in northern New Jersey. We had an offsite, one of those typical offsites that you do that a lot of us coaches host and facilitate a Monday through Friday type of soiree. And I brought my bike out to New Mexico. I wanted to ride my bike out there, cross it off the states I've ridden in in the United States. And the morning of July 11th, 2001, around 6 a.m. before the meeting began, I was coming around a bend and a Ford Explorer crossed over into my lane and hit me head on. It was going about 40 miles an hour while I was on my bike. And I remember everything about that morning, Bruce, except for a little bit of a period where I got knocked unconscious. But I remember the sound of me hitting his truck and the windshield and the screech of his oh. brakes and all that. Yeah. And all I remember to make like a, a long story that starts off rough, but has a very happy ending. When they put me on the medevac to take me to Albuquerque, to the only trauma one center, I told myself if I, if I live, which was in question, that I would stop chasing happiness. That was a pretty big um, uh, 
suffer from comparisonitis back in the day. Like I will um, compare myself to others in my neighborhood or the company. And this was before social media, which has made it pretty easy to do today. And I thought I'd be happy when I got promoted or bought the new car or what have you. And when I was in the ICU, I don't remember anything about those four days. And again, with accident, I broke a whole bunch of everything, including lacerating the femoral artery. So it was a life and death situation. The doctors told my my wife, you know, it's really a miracle that your husband's still alive, but he's got a lot of, have a lot of pain and suffering and a lot of uncertainty in his life. And that was the picture that they painted. So as we go through COVID, that uncertainty piece, I can totally relate to. But when I was in ICU, I was all drugged up. I was strapped down. I was on a ventilator and a respirator, the whole thing. And when they finally took me off the ventilator respirator, I started like just saying weird stuff, Bruce. I like I told my wife to buy Amazon stock. Um, <laughs> it was going for fifteen dollars a share back in two thousand one. We oh, did not buy it. <laughs> yeah, great idea. Then I have forgiven her yeah. for not taking my advice. I interviewed her for. One of our sales rep jobs, I went through the whole 45-minute interview guide. I did not hire her. I think she's glad she didn't get hired by yeah, me. Yeah. But the one thing I told her, I was like, hey, go find David. He's going to show us the way. He's our leader. And when I came out of, the, out of the ICU, she was like, who's David? And I was the type of guy that never talked about work at home. I didn't want to relive it because for the most part, I thought leaders had to have all the answers. And I poured a lot of stress inside of me. So I didn't want to relive the day. Yeah. And David was the first guy I ever knew who was an executive coach. And I was like, whoa, I like I kept on repeating his name. I asked my wife, she said all the time. And I I didn't know what that meant, but that I knew that was a seed that needed some watering and fertilizing. And that seed eventually became my career today and following in David's footsteps in executive coaching and speaking and becoming an author. So it took 13 years of watering and fertilizing from that moment to the time I started Peloton Executive Coaching. But that was definitely a moment that I will always remember. Yeah. And what was it about coaching that really kind of became your purpose? Like, what was it about the work that you were going to do, the people you were going to interact with, your day-to-day? Was it a shift from being kind of on the corporate side? For you, what was the, why was the coaching such a calling? It was a calling for a couple of different reasons. One, like a big umbrella topic, as I believe like in corporate life or even entrepreneurial life, if we can change how we work together, we can change how we live together because we spend so much time at work. And yeah. so I look at even this moment in time, like this can be a moment in time where we live better together and we also work better together because yeah. there are aspects of how we work and how we live that are coming up as we deal with the coronavirus. Yeah. And for me too, is also a, hey, I can help someone shift their perspective. I may not necessarily have the right answer for them. I'm, that's not necessarily my task as a coach. Mm-hmm. But if I can help someone just stand back a bit, shift their perspective and see different possibilities, then we make better connections. And the people I like to work with, just like the people you like to work with, the end product of their service or their product that they offer does help society in general. So if I can help a leader just shift ever so slightly, wow, we can make some really good things happen in this world. And that's the type of legacy I want to leave behind because I believe I lived for a reason that day. Now, Mm -hmm. that wasn't clear to me in the very beginning of my recovery, but it's very clear now to say, hey, you know what? We can all get through this together with, you know, a mixture of resilience, the right people in our tribe or our Peloton, the right mindset and the, the right type of perspective about how we approach work and life. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you go about that process? So, uh, you know, going through this experience, having this accident, going through this recovery, having this, you know, shift in thinking, shift in purpose and focus. 
how did you actually go about the process of now getting into the coaching world, developing coaching skills, establishing a coaching practice? Tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So once I made the decision, like, okay, I'm going to follow in David's footsteps. I was like, okay, great. I know where I want to go. I had no idea how to get there. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, now what? So I knew this, the type of people I wanted to coach were at high levels in the organization because they had great influence on how that organization hummed along, how it rolled along. So what I worked on is like my approach to my own career and to my own life. And that was a big part of my shift from this accident, like really changing how I approached life and career. And I got to the executive suite of my company at a very young age. I was the youngest guy and I had a team of about a thousand and a PL worth about $4 billion. Mm-hmm. And I knew I needed to have that type of experience to sit next yeah. to another executive because, you know, the old adage is lonely at the top is true for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be able to sit there in the trenches with my clients to say, okay, I've walked a mile in your shoes. I get you and you get me. And so I worked on just my executive leadership skills and along the way really worked on like what coaching is versus how it might feel in a corporate environment where there's a lot of telling going on or a lot of directing. Mm-hmm. And I got more and more comfortable with just sort of expressing my voice out there. And I, I knew this too. It was This was big. I knew I, I would eventually get into the line of work that I'm currently doing and it would be a values-based decision. And I think this is what's important right now as we go through a crisis for company leaders and business leaders to lead with their values in mind because our values are so critical in moments of crisis and we're in a crisis. So I knew I had certain values I wanted to honor or be able to honor throughout my career. And once those values could no longer be honored at my corporation, I knew it was time for me to start my company. Mm -hmm. And I came up to a, a change in our company structure. My boss, who I'd known for 18 years, got pushed out. It was one of those political things. I got a new boss. And I was like, hey, thank you, universe. You've just given me the last puzzle piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can, I can no longer honor my values that are important to me at this age, at this point in my career. And I saw it as a sign. And less than 48 hours later, we worked on a way to leave and start my business. And that's how it happened. But it was clearly values-based. And that helped me in that moment because sometimes we get Well, we get emotional. We get somewhat Mm -hmm. irrational sometimes with decision-making. The more we can use our values as a compass, the better off we'll be. Yeah, no, I like that. And how, I mean, there's a lot of talk of values, you know, core values, personal values, corporate values. Define them a little bit more for me. Tell me about how you've gone about articulating yours, discovering yours, unearthing yours, and how then you use them to kind of make some of these decisions, you know, whether they be big, life-changing ones of, you know, are you going to stay in a job or are you going to go out on your own? And also kind of dealing with kind of the day-to-day decisions that leaders have to make and maybe a little bit of how you help clients or to the extent that you work with clients on some of this process. What does this look like? Because I always find that it's how you kind of figure out what your values are is like one challenge. (laughs) And then the other challenge is once you have it, then how do you live your values? But I think they're both challenges. And I'm kind of curious what your experience has been. Yeah. So certainly it's a big challenge, I think, because a lot of times we go through a values exercise. We might do it in a corporate offsite, as an example, or just on our own. And without the proper awareness of who we are, a lot of times we put down values that we think society wants us to put down. Like we should put down family in our top five. 
well, family is not in my top five, but all of my top five direct, like indirectly tie back to family. Yeah. So I think, so there's a lot of pressure. Like if you don't put family, like mm-hmm. what kind of guy or gal yeah. are you? Yeah. So it's one identifying like who you are working on your self awareness. It's like, it's the deep work that I think every leader needs to do. That's the soft skills that are so hard or the emotional labor, as many people would like to say, including myself. So I use my values in this way. I go through a period. I do it every year. I think it's very important to do it if not every year, every five years at different milestones too in your life. Mm -hmm. So I do it around December of every year to sort of checking in, like where am I in my career and my life with our family and what values do I want to honor for the following year? And I structure it. So one of them happens to be health, which is probably not a surprise after hearing that I went through what I went through. So the way I start my mornings each day are like, what are things I can do today? How do I want to be? What do I want to do? Pulling a little bit from the great Zig Ziglar Mm -hmm. so I can have more health. So I will be very intentional about my day, which I think is important as we go through this crisis mm-hmm. of how do I want to show up and how do I want to value my value of health? And then freedom is another one. So one of the things I took great pride in when I left, I was like, I want to be able to work with the people I want to work with. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that I have ultimate freedom in that, that's how I express my freedom. I pay attention to, okay, who's coming into my world in terms of maybe working together? And is that the type of client I want to work with that can help me also basically honor my remaining values? So mm-hmm. I do a, a process at the end of each year, certainly if there's a big milestone that comes up, big birthday perhaps, or just, you know, you, know, you get remarried, you get married, you have kids, mm-hmm. what have you. And then it's part of my morning ritual. So I wake up every day and have my 20 ounces of water. I get my mind and body connected somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. And then I set my intentions for the day in terms of who do I want to be today? What do I want to do? And what do I want to have? And it's all tied back to my values. I like it. The two things there that I think are really important. Well, one is this whole idea of values you should have versus values you do have. I think there's a lot of kind of failed value exercises that are either identifying things that you think other people expect of you um, or things that are more kind of aspirational, things you'd like to be rather than things you are. One of the things I do with with my clients when we do value things, I have them identify anti-values. So for every value, they have to find a value, something else they're willing to give up to live that value. And I really, I like to frame it as this choice that they make. It's like, I choose to be this and I'm willing to give up that. And the thing they're willing to give up has to be something that someone else could take as a value. So it really, it's no longer this, oh, well, I want to be honest or I want to have integrity. It's like, those are just good practices. They're not really values. But if you want to be, you know, if you want to take on challenge, you may give up some safety. If you want to be transparent, you've got to give up some privacy. And you could do the other way too. Like, that's fine. It's just, it's a choice. And the more, I find the more that you can really frame them as being conscious choices that you're making about who you are and how you choose to live, the, the more powerful they become as a tool for making decisions. I completely agree, Bruce. And for me, they're the line in the sand aspects of my life. Like if something would violate my value of health or freedom or for, for some family, that's when you get a little bit more of a papa bear out of me, you know, but then the other things that happen in life, I can let that go. Yeah. You know, I don't have to have as strong of emotional 
charge or trigger a reaction to that. But the things that are core to who I am and my identity, things I want to have in my life and career, well, they take on a little bit more, obviously, much more emphasis. Those are lines in the sand that I really want to like, hey, I'm going to hold true to these. And there's a different type of reaction, you know, from me when those things are crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like that idea of that, that you then have to live it, right? It's one thing to actually just figure out what your values are, but then putting them into practice, making it part of your daily routine. I do this with leadership teams where we pick a value every quarter. That's going to be an area of focus for the quarter because you you have to then find ways of, of living it and, and knowing that, you know, you're not perfect and there's always ways in which you can more fully express them, integrate them into your conversations, integrate them into your habits and your actions, but actually putting them into some kind of practice, I think is a really, really key one. I like the idea of, you know, actually reviewing them every morning and making a part of your intentions. Yeah, it becomes, you know, for me, it becomes habit. Like, I don't even think about it anymore. It's just, you know, like getting in the car and putting on our seatbelt. That morning ritual, sort of borrowing from like a Charles Duhigg or maybe a James Clear with Atomic Habit, the whole idea of value stack, habit stacking. Yeah. And, and then my values are part of it, you know, because before my accident, again, to go back to the great Mr. Ziegler, mm-hmm. I was living a do, have, be way of living, like do, hustle and grind the 24-7 to have some of those external merit badges that we all happen to chase after from time to time. And then I thought I would be happy or be successful. And then much like Zig, I think, provided in one of his cassette tapes that I listened to way back when I was a little bit younger. <laughs> cassette he, you tapes, know, he, I like it. That's dating yeah, us. <laughs> yeah, that's how I, I, learned, I learned sales through Zig through cassette tapes and an old Ford Taurus. It was a oh, beautiful times back then. Yeah. And so he flipped it around and said, instead of like, the do have be, it's the be do have, you know, wake up being who you want to be, do those things that those people do. And as a result, you're going to probably have more of it in your life. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the work that you do. What kind of leaders you work with? How does your, what areas of focus do you have? What does your engagement look like? Yeah. So my focus is really sort of the people that, you know, speak the same language as I do, like sales and marketing. That was where my career was, but certainly my clients range outside of the commercial segment. And I'm dealing mainly with people who are executive directors to the C-suite and they're dealing with different types of change, like going through the change that we're currently going through as a nation, but they may be prepping for a new role. They just maybe have gotten into a new role or they have to move their company through something that is a change process. Yeah, and they, they need guidance, they need mentorship and counseling. And I wear a mixture of hats. It's not necessarily a pure like coaching professionals would think. It's a little bit of a mixture of some advisement, some consulting, some coaching to be there for them as a sounding board, a safe place to vent if they need to, but also an accountability partner and a strategist to help them make the changes that they're looking to make. And for many of them, they've gotten to these positions and they're really successful. They also know this, that what got them to this point in their career probably is not going to get them to the next point. And they need an outside partner, just like the work that you do, Bruce, help them get there and you know, they're not ready to hang up their cleats. They may be in their 40s and they got 20 more years before they want to go on to their next stage of their career. And they want to finish their career as strongly as they started. And that's when they call me and I try to help them out with perspective and resilience and building culture and having the energy for the things and the people who truly matter to them. I see nowadays so many leaders spending all their energy at work. And when they come home, it's basically just their energy leftovers. It's like bringing home cold pizza. <laughs> yeah, which like the scraps. Cold, cold, yeah. yeah, cold pizza in New York is good every now and again. But like, if you're bringing home cold pizza every night, yeah. you know the family's going to be a little unhappy with you over time. So 
I think one of the big things that we need to be able to do a better job of, and again, as we go through this crisis, manage our energy for the long haul, manage our energy so we have the right focus at work, but also we are attentive to the people who we care about the most when we get home or in our personal lives. Yeah, it's so important. I find that so much of um, you know le- leadership is whole encompassing effort, right? It's not just about, you know, how do we show up in the office and, and with our teams, but, you know, it's how do we show up with our families? How do we show up in our community? How do we show up for ourselves? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really holistic mindset, I think, that, that leadership ends up really taking on when you really get into it. Tell me a little bit about the clients that, or I guess, is there anything that you look for or see when you first start working with an executive or when you meet with an executive and considering coaching? Things that you notice tend to indicate folks that are going to be more successful in this process or be able to make these kind of changes more quickly, more completely versus people that maybe struggle a little bit more with the work that needs to get done? Yeah, that's a great question because some of my assignments are given to my client by like a sponsor mm-hmm. HR where HR is yep. like, Hey, you need a coach. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, the rest they're like upon them. Yeah. yeah. Like, why do I need a coach? And there's a connotation that if I have a coach, I may not be doing all that well. So mm-hmm. we do have to, in some cases we do have to massage the meaning of coaching. Like, Hey, you know, the company is investing, investing in you. And this is a good thing, not a, yeah. not a bad thing. It's not a demerit. So what I try to do is sort of gauge where they're at with that. How do they see coaching? And I want to tap into other coaching engagements, not necessarily professional coaching, but just coaching in their life to see you know, who has shaped them and what type of people have shaped them throughout their life from maybe little league to current day. Yeah. And I also want to you know, hear from them as far as their overall vision for their future. And I'm trying to pick up on a, like a drive and an urgency that they want. You know, I'm looking for clients who will bring out the best in me because I want to bring out the best in them. So, you know, a lot of times we'll, we're going to make each other better. And as cliche as it is, the Mm -hmm. iron sharpening iron type of approach. So I'm picking up on that and where I can, and obviously current day, it's not possible. I want to be with them face to face. I want to pick up on their energy. I want them to pick up on my energy because when I'm going to work with someone, I'm going all in. I'm like, all right, we're going to, we're in it. Right. So this is not a contract for a scheduled time to talk. This is a, you know, we're going to work off of your agenda, but I'm going to be in it with you Mm -hmm. to help you help you get to where you want to get to or, you know, sort of fulfill your definition of what success looks like. Yeah. And what do some of those conversations look like? I mean, how, how, what kind of questions are you asking? What kind of conversations are you having to help them, you know, go through this process of, of seeing, be, you know, kind of becoming aware of the fact that their, their current strategies may not be helpful in the next phase of their career and developing new ones. What does that process actually look like for you? Yeah. So it starts with like a classic and like a meet and greet. Some coaches would call it a chemistry meeting, but I'm, looking for conversation around like what do they see as their pain points and how they're describing it. So I'm looking at is there any type of external focus or internal focus on what, again, cliche as this is, what's keeping them up at night. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for at least a morsel of, hey, there's an internal focus here to what I'm dealing with, what I'm struggling with, as opposed to someone who might show up and it's all externally focused. Like it's everyone around me, Bruce, that's the problem, not me. <laughs> uh, obviously, that's a little bit of an extreme yeah. exaggeration effect. But I'm looking for a minimum of balance to say, you know what, there's a lot happening outside of me, mm-hmm. external to me. But I also know this, that how I'm showing up may not be the right thing. Mm-hmm. So through our conversation, which tends to be a pretty organic 
organic conversation as opposed to a structured formal one. I'm looking for like, hey, you know what? Maybe it is some of the things I'm doing. And you know what? I have a willingness to change. And, you know, I want to find out like, well, how strong is that willingness to change? Because if you're like set in your ways, we can go through this. And I've had some cases where I've gotten that wrong to be transparent. Mm -hmm. And I've had to go to their sponsor and say, you know what? This is not good money for you to continue to spend. I would recommend just stopping the engagement and repurposing the dollars to something else. And those are those conversations haven't haven't happened too frequently, but they mm-hmm. have. And they're good conversations to have because sometimes we all start engagements with the best intentions and you get a month into it or two months and you realize the type of change that everyone wants to create is not going to happen just because yeah. of where you are in the environment or the engagement. Yeah, yeah, it's always um, you know part of the coaching process is yeah you know, figuring that out. Is there really underlying motivation? Are there you know the forces? correctly kind of aligned to actually make make the change happen. Um, tell me, so so we're in this kind of COVID-19 scenario here, and we're recording this at the end of March. And like I said, we're in New York, so we're kind of a bit of a hot zone here. What have you noticed about the conversations that you've been having with leaders in terms of how they're kind of processing this, the priorities they're creating, what are the concerns, what, what's the conversation like, and how is it, I guess, different than other times when we're not facing this kind of situation? Yeah, so I would say energetically, it's heavy. And that's a playback I get from folks. I did a few days ago a webinar just to help people work from home, lead from home, and and live at home for an extended period of time through all this. And the emotions I got back, because we know emotions do drive behavior, is just a heaviness of the uncertainty. And clearly, there's some reactionary decision-making happening. And even for some leaders, it's like, hey, it's business as usual. We're just going to go to Zoom or Skype. And business is anything but usual. This is very unusual. And none of us have the playbook on what to do because this is unlike anything that anyone's gone through. And you know, what I try to share with them is like, there are some basics that we need for good leadership during a crisis. You know, we need clarity where we can provide it because there's so much uncertainty out in the world with this one. We want to co-create as much as possible. So we give up a little bit of our authority. We want to be candid. We don't want to tell everyone like, hey, you know, it's going to be rainbows and Skittles and Mm -hmm. unicorns. We want to be compassionate where we can. I think that goes a long way to acknowledge and recognize people, even though we can't see them day in and day out. And I think another big one, and this comes from when I learned how to fish, Bruce, my dad taught me how to catch and release. So catch that fish and release it back into the pond or the lake or what have you. And for leaders, they're taking on a lot. There's a lot of like, hey, boss, what do I do? Hey, boss, what do I do? And we still have this feeling like leaders have to have all the answers and we take it on and we want to be the superhero. And we're taking on a lot of that from our team and that's draining. So a lot of the leaders I talk to that we get to the end of the week, maybe even the end of the day, and they're like, Michael, I'm exhausted. I don't know how much longer I can do this for. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking my team to sort of do the same. And so part of this is that self-care to let the leader know you have permission to hit the pause button, renew your energy, return to your work, don't let it build up. Uh, So you can be really thoughtful with your decisions and be there for your team because there is so much uncertainty and that anxiety can ripple through an organization faster than any email or any announcement. So we have to be mindful of our ripple and, and try to help people see, okay, yes, we're going through a lot. We can hold two thoughts in our head at the same time. We're going through pain and suffering and people losing their life to this. Mm-hmm. And we can also see the seeds that can help us build a better tomorrow, that there's opportunity in this disruption, and we can change maybe dramatically or ever so slightly how we work together. And 
hopefully then, as I mentioned earlier, how we live together. Yeah, it's it's um, interesting to think about this as kind of a crucible moment in terms of, you know, this is where kind of the, the, the next mode of how we work together, how leaders show up over the next six months, 12 months. It's going to be interesting. I think a lot of people are going to be forced to change for all sorts of reasons. Uh, and I think some of that change will, you know, cause them to have different habits, beliefs, behaviors, anything you think that's really going to impact kind of the kind of the executive world, the corporate world, how we do business, you know, business in general, thinking about six, 12 months out, you know, as we're kind of through the the crisis itself and focused on recovery and kind of building things back up or getting the economy going, getting businesses up and running again. Anything you think that's going to have real kind of permanence in terms of how we work or how we choose to interact? Well, I, I think Zoom and, Zoom and Skype are great, but never going to replace human to human being in the same in the same environment. So I think we're going to get smarter about remote work. I think even when it comes to, gosh, just the common cold or the common sore throat where people go into work and soldier through it and they affect everyone else with a sore throat. I think we'll develop capabilities to say, hey, you know what? If you have a mild cold, just stay at home, work from home. I think we'll also get smarter about paid sick leave. And I also think what's going to happen in, in society is that we see it already happening in the New York area where a lot of service providers and it gets into maybe some like, political conversation about minimum wage and sort of this, this social economic divide that we have who, for the most part, the folks that are working and living there are customers in many ways, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily for everyone listening, but you know, we I think we'll examine that as a society too. Like, where do we have personal responsibility, and where do we have societal responsibility to help us? You know, you know, maximize what we can become in this country. So I think that's going to be a part of it. And I think each executive is going to have to understand. Well, how do we go back to a new normal? Because it's certainly not going to be the old normal. It's going to be new. Mm-hmm. We can recreate that. How do we want to meet together big scale meetings right at first? Because this is not a light switch moment, right? It's going to start spreading outside of New York, New Jersey as it is. And and everyone's going to experience it at a different pace and a different rate. So I think executives are going to have to spend some time to think about, okay, well, how do we move forward? And what are the overall implications once we get to the economic ripple of all this and how do we pulse things and what do we want to invest in going forward? I think those are some of the big strategic decisions that a lot of folks will have to start making as they get into Q2 and later in the year as we get through the summer. Yeah, yeah, it's um they're interesting times, challenging times, interesting times, but you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what learnings and what what changes come of it. Michael, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Peloton, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? One-stop shopping, michaelobrienshift.com. So right there, they can learn a little bit more about my coaching and my books and all that jazz. So yeah, just one URL. That's all you have to remember. Perfect. I'll put that in the show notes so people can click through and get that information. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know things are a little crazy right now, so I appreciate you you know, carving out a little bit in your schedule, finding a place in your home that <laughs> we can have this conversation, have this uh, recording. But uh, it's been a good one. I know that a lot of good takeaways from and I'm, from this, and I'm, I'm sure people have a lot of good ideas of, of how they can deal with the situation, be better leaders, be better executives. So I appreciate that. No problem, Bruce. Uh, good to be on and uh, stay healthy. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.